Welcome to the Living a Naturally Healthy Life podcast with Delane ND, the podcast for people looking to correct chronic illnesses such as diabetes through lifestyle change. I'm Dr. Delane Vaughn. As a physician, I see many patients who are ill because of lifestyle decisions such as food choices. Typically, diseases such as diabetes are managed with pills or injections. This approach creates a vicious, expensive, and unhealthy cycle of medication and then more medication to address the negative side effects. As a physician, and a life coach, I work with clients to resolve their diseases, get off their medications, and live a naturally healthy life. If you don't like the healthcare system in America, I recommend you use less of it by being naturally healthy. So if you feel there has to be a better, more natural way to live a healthy life, you are in the right place. Hello, welcome to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast, episode number 100. We've made it. Here we are. I've been talking about this. Super excited. I can't believe there's been 100 episodes. So if you're new to this podcast, I'm your host, Dr. Delane Vaughn. If you're looking for strategies to live a naturally healthy life, this is the place. And there are 99 other episodes that you can go to for strategies and advice. Today, we are going to talk about something that I'm incredibly uncomfortable talking about. This is not something that comes naturally, but I do feel that it really serves an important purpose. So we're going to talk about me. So... I put out feelers for folks and listeners to submit what they wanted to hear. I got a lot of questions. A lot of those questions were episodes that have already been done, but I am going to definitely put them into a future question and answer podcast. But this is one of the questions that I get from listeners and I also get a lot from clients. How did I do it? How did I get the results that I had, that I've gotten? So that's what I want to discuss today but stay tuned for the answers. If you submitted a question and you're like, wait, I really wanted to know why this food was bad, stay tuned. There's going to be a question and answer podcast for that. Make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss out on any of those. But this podcast today is about the results that are possible. So for me, of course, because I have a human brain, all of my thoughts that come to me are not amazing thoughts. So my initial thought is this is going to sound like bragging. So I definitely am not interested to have this from a space of bragging, but really from a place of sharing what is possible for anybody. Understand that I am not superhuman. There is nothing mystical or magical about me. I have no mutant powers. I'd like to tell you that I'm not alien, but anybody who knows me might disagree with that. So I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to make any rash statements that may not be true. I won't take it too far. But I do want you to see that just being a mere mortal does not prevent you from getting exceptional health results, all of the health results you want. It does not prevent you from optimizing your health. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about the difference between getting out of the state of disease and optimizing your health. Those are not the same things. And that's really what I want people to see as possible. You don't just have to be disease-free. You can actually have optimal health. That is possible for you as a human being. You can get all the results you want. You get to decide what those results you want are. I let my clients do that. And I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit. But today we're going to dig into my journey so you can see what it looked like for me. It's not necessarily what it's going to look like for you, but what it looked like for me. And then all of the biomarkers and lab values that are possible to achieve when you do this work. So again, a quick plug for upcoming episodes. 
I'm going to be doing one on shame. That's going to be a grand time, quite the party anytime we talk about shame and guilt. But I do think it's one of those things that keep that works as an obstacle for us. So I want to talk about that. And then there's going to be the question and answer session that I've already talked about. So let's dig in. First off, again, I really want to point out that any stories that I share about my journey are just my experiences. It's not to dictate your journey or anyone's journey, how it must be for anybody. It's not to tell you how to do it. So please don't think you have to do it the way that I did. You totally don't. People very easily get into a mindset that there's only one way to get the results they want. And what I want you to see is this is not the case. Also, these are not the results you must achieve. The biomarkers that I've, my lab results that I have gotten that I'm going to share with you are not what you must achieve. I have worked with people who want to do all sorts of types of getting healthier, right? From people who want to normalize their numbers and come off their medications to people who just want to get off their insulin shots. They're not worried about being on the oral medications, but they don't want to be giving themselves a shot every day. And then I've had people who want to get their A1Cs into the pre-diabetic range and come off of some of their medications. I've had others who just want to keep their A1Cs below 7 because that's what their doctors have recommended and expect of them. Then still there are others who want to get off their medications and get their A1Cs absolutely as low as possible. These are a vast array of results that people want regarding their diabetes. When we look at the weight, when I work with my clients on weight, because most of the people, women that come to me, they want to normalize their diabetes, but they also want to lose some weight. Our desires for what we want from our weight is even more varied. I have women who come to me, they want a rockin' hot bod that's better than it was when they were in college to those who just want to be in the healthy weight range and a normal BMI range. The variety of desired results is so vast and wide. I don't dictate the results that you want. And the results that I have gotten are not what you need to get or need to want. I'm just sharing these with you the results that I wanted to get so that you know what is possible, the results that I have achieved so that you know what is possible. I encourage my clients always to decide their goals. They get to make that decision. The results that they want to have is their decision. I coach them through that process, not because they can't figure it out on their own, but instead I do this because I'm helping them approach their goals from a place of belief versus what most people do is they approach goals from a place of disbelief, which is really bad news. Because remember, if you think back to the concept of confirmation bias, which I've spoken about before in previous podcast episodes, you'll remember that whatever you believe, this is confirmation bias, whatever you believe you will produce evidence of. If your belief is that your spouse is cheating on you, you will interpret all evidence that you acquire regarding this to support the belief that your spouse is cheating on you. So if you have disbelief regarding your goals, meaning that your belief is that you cannot reach those goals, you'll produce evidence to support that belief. And that's why it's so important to set goals from a space of believing that it's possible. Sometimes these disbeliefs come from, they sound like old thoughts, like diabetes is a disease, I've acquired this disease, I've got a genetic predisposition and I can't help it. Other times it sounds like my whole family has diabetes, so of course I'm bound to have it. Other times it sounds like my doctor never told me I could fix this, so it must not be possible. And many times it's even more subtle than this. It shows up as I just need to get my numbers into the normal range. 
recognize getting your numbers into a normal range because even what one doctor thinks is normal and what another doctor thinks is normal, those numbers that you're looking at to get into a normal range, if you're looking at the A1C, is just getting your blood sugars into the normal range. It, range. It's not addressing the underlying disease pathology, which is your insulin being too high. And when we focus on just getting these numbers into the normal range, we're not optimizing our health. That is actually getting your body just free of disease. Optimizing your health and getting your body free of disease is not the same thing. As a coach, it's my job to help get them into a place of belief that anything that they want is possible, and then they get to set their goals. That's what this podcast is about, to show you what is possible. So here we go. So I'm going to share with you kind of the struggle that led up to my uh, changing my life and changing the way I ate and really learning how to live my life in a way that made everything possible. Some of this is the struggle. You'll hear the struggle that I experienced. It's even hard for me from this, you know, a few years into this, right? And I'm not even saying that I've lived this way for a decade, right? It's been like three or four years that I've lived this way. Even now, it's hard for me to use the verbiage, the words that I would have used five or six years ago to describe the struggle. So I tried to remember that. And some of it I do remember pretty clearly. But even now, I find myself automatically changing the verbs that I use and the words that I use because there is no, I don't feel there's any um, benefit to holding on to some of those stories. So I've really let them go. But you'll hear some of my struggle, but certainly hearing the story that led me up to really getting to the point where I was ready to find some way to make these changes permanent. So even in high school, I was never as thin as I wanted to be. I always wanted to be about five or 10 pounds thinner than I was. And I believed that, of course, I was heavier than all my friends. And God forbid, I discussed actual weight numbers with my friends because then I had hardcore data to tell me that I was, in fact, heavier than everybody else. And then, of course, there were the styles. I'm a uh, child of the 70s, which meant my teenage years were spent in the late 80s and early 90s, where fashion was interesting, if not atrocious. My body didn't simply just didn't have, I mean, I did not have a waist. Even now, if I gain an extra five pounds, my waist is the first thing to that I lose. It's just where I carry extra adipose tissue. So that means that those high-waisted jeans that we all wore in the late 80s and early 90s, I had to get them about two sizes bigger so than my rump needed so that my waist would fit into them. I'm sure I looked totally 1989 rad with these, with my high-waisted jeans all baggy in my butt. But of course, I saw this again as evidence that my body was too big. I had to buy these bigger sizes of clothes. And remember, it doesn't matter what was because I have seen videos of me in 1989. I was a I was perfect in any way, but my belief was so strong that I interpreted all of the data to support that belief. Certainly, my eating habits were not great. I was a teenager, just like any teenager. I can remember buying boxes of fudge sickles. You know, they were low fat, so it was okay. And then I would eat them, all of them, the entire box in one sitting. I also loved cereal, like, and not like I loved a bowl of cereal. I like loved a box of Frosted Flakes. And again, they were low fat, so it was okay. I drank a lot of Dr. Pepper. In fact, my first job was at a restaurant in my hometown. Shout out to the Dairy King. Yes, King. We were not queens. We were kings. Very similar restaurants. But this is where I was first introduced to Cherry Vanilla Dr. Pepper, which you can get made commercially now. But back then, back in the day, we did not have Cherry Vanilla Dr. Peppers that were made by the Dr. Pepper company. We made them. Because you know what makes Dr. Pepper be better? What makes it even better than the high fructose corn syrup that's in it? 
is a little cherry syrup and a little vanilla syrup. Adding sugar to sugar certainly made the Dr. Peppers better, right? So I drank tons of that stuff. Given the fact that I thought I was too heavy, I would certainly, on a regular basis, try very hard to cut back on these types of foods. But I was never able to cut back in a way that brought my weight to the range that I wanted it. I picked up running when I was 15 years old. Initially, I started out with one mile a day, and then I moved up to two and three miles a day. By the time I was in my mid-20s, I was running about five miles a day. Despite very devoted exercise, the number on the scale never budged for me. Of course, this added to evidence that I was just not meant to be that skinny, right? As I grew into my college years, this persisted and really got worse. I went from being five to 10 pounds outside of where I wanted to be to being 10 to 15 pounds outside of where I wanted to be. My eating habits did change. I went from my Dr. Pepper love to a Diet Coke problem. I went from eating fudge sickles and frosted flakes to nonfat yogurt and granola bars, the occasional low-fat Pop-Tart. When I was on a health kick, I'd eat the microwavable popcorn. Another hysterical staple of my diet was when I was in college, I was too lazy to make pasta, so I would eat pasta sauce. Pasta sauce over minute rice. Just let's say my my cooking has never been a strong suit for me. I was I never really enjoyed cooking and I didn't really learn to do it well until the last few years. Ironically, this whole minute rice substitution for pasta really wasn't that much different when you're looking at the macronutrients. They were essentially the same thing. Recognize all of it was low fat, so it fit the criteria of quote unquote healthy for that time period. It's no wonder that my first pregnancy when I was 23, I was borderline gestational diabetic. The numbers that actually were read on my glucose tolerance test, they gave me the borderline diagnosis at that point, warning me to get it together in that first pregnancy. In my second pregnancy 10 years later, those same numbers would have given me a full-blown diagnosis of gestational diabetes because the criteria changed over those 10 years. So during those times, we didn't look at fasting insulin levels. We didn't really even look at A1C levels. We didn't really recognize, I think A1Cs were probably used at that time, but not as frequently as they are now. But it wasn't really well known or clear that insulin resistance was the issue. We didn't connect things like polycystic ovarian disease. We didn't connect things like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. We really didn't know hyperinsulinemia was a problem. We didn't understand all the different ways that it made us sick. It just, that information, that science had not been uh, researched and developed 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. The leading ideas back then about what caused type 2 diabetes was that we wore our pancreas out. Our pancreas couldn't keep up and therefore we just needed more insulin. There was no changing the diet. There were no recommendations to change the diet. Therefore, there was no real fix to it. But that's a different podcast for a different day. That's one of those questions that came up that I will answer in the future. Recognize as I moved through that pregnancy, through my 20s into my mid-30s, I continued to have this extra weight that I didn't really want, but I continued with the low-fat diet because that was the mainstream, mainstream health recommendations for weight management at the time. I did develop quite an impressive Diet Coke habit as well as a pretty strong hankering for candy, all things chocolate. I was a fan of it. I was an emergency room nurse. For those of you who don't know that that's my secret identity, before I went to medical school, I was a nurse and I was an ER nurse. And of course, we worked late nights. I worked late nights and I used candy and Coke, Diet Coke that is, to stay awake during those times. At the age of 33, when I became pregnant with my twins, that's when I really got a first clear glimpse about what was going on. I got a 
clear view that my health was not where I really wanted it to be. I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes during that pregnancy. Again, there was no great information given to me about why this happened. Nothing about my diet was discussed. I was a second-year medical student when I got pregnant, so I started researching it for myself. And all the information I could find when I searched this pointed to a hormone produced by the placenta. And that made tons of sense. This hormone makes mothers more susceptible to diabetes or insulin resistance. It makes mothers more insulin resistant. Since I had two placentas, this made a lot of sense, especially because remember, I was eating quote unquote right. For the most part, I was following the recommendations for managing my weight, low fat, calories in should be less than calories out. And in addition to that, I exercised regularly. I had been a five mile a day runner As I got pregnant, I turned into 45 minutes of cardio a day, but I still worked out. So it made a lot of sense to me that those two placentas were the problem, not what I was eating. Once I delivered my twins, I lost the weight. I got back down to my pre-pregnancy weight, but I still could not get down to the weight that I wanted to be at. As I had gotten older, I was starting to use things like BMI and clothes sizing to gauge how much I wanted to weigh or what I wanted my body to look at like. And I still dreamed and hoped that I could be like 15 pounds lighter. I would see the numbers on the scales sometimes drop, but they never lasted and it was never as low as I hoped for. So recognize, my dreams were never to be 5 foot 6 and weigh 100 pounds. My hopes were that I could weigh 125 or 130. That puts my BMI at like 20, 21, 22, depending on where I am in that range. I did not have ridiculous ambitions. Whereas my thoughts about my body as a child when I was a teenager were misperceptions of what my body looked like. As an adult, I really felt like my expectations weren't ridiculous and I was truly unable to create the results I wanted. I felt like my weight was out of my control and the diabetes thing was certainly out of my control with all those placentas and such. So as I moved outside of that pregnancy time and into my late 30s, the scale started to creep up more steadily. The things that I had done in my early 30s and 20s to drop 5 or 10 pounds for swimsuit season were no longer working. The 5 persistent pounds were turning into 10 persistent pounds. And I was very frustrated that nothing I seemed to do would help. And I seemed to be in a spiral of self-sabotage. I would feel bad about the decisions I made and I would eat because I felt bad about the decisions I made. In my previous episodes, I've shared that this is where I found a coach and I learned to make the changes that I need to. You can check out those podcasts if you want. But today... I wanted not only to share that struggle that I've just shared in my experience, but also to talk a little bit about my beliefs that really helped me or led me to create those results that I wanted. Before I dig into those beliefs, I want to let you know that um, I will be discussing my lab results, so the biomarkers, my A1C, my fasting um, insulin, my cholesterol panel, all of those. I do want to discuss briefly where I started. So recognize I did not get follow-up labs to check if my gestational diabetes had gone away after the delivery of my twins. So I don't know what happened to my numbers during that time. I was busy with training for medicine, and I believed that certainly once I got rid of all those placentas, it was going to be fine. So when I started to see the scale go up, that's really what prompted me to start looking into this. Those were the numbers that I was watching and I wasn't okay with. I would also occasionally check my blood sugars when I was having what felt like a hypoglycemic event. And I did have those a lot. And I'm going to come back to that. So hypoglycemia is low blood sugars. And I would see that even after I would have a Snickers bar, 
It'd be like, I mean, it'd be 1.15 in the morning. I would want to stay awake. I would have a Snickers bar. And then about an hour, hour and a half later, I felt sweaty and jittery. I would check my blood sugars at that time. And those were the numbers that I did have, which were I, I was having low blood sugars at that point. I also understood as I saw that scale go up that I wasn't ready to be quote unquote old when I was in my early 40s. I just wasn't ready to throw in the towel and be like, okay, I'm ready to start getting older and watch my my health decline. Um, As I got heavier, I started to feel older. I felt I looked older. I also understood that my risk of developing type 2 diabetes was higher because I had been gestationally diabetic. And adding overweight to that just made the risks even higher. So the only labs that I really had were my three-hour glucose tolerance testing when I was pregnant, and I did, I've did i never repeated that because we don't use that when you're not pregnant. We use an A1C. The other numbers I had, of course, were my scale readings, and then, of course, I had the occasional AccuCheck or glucometer reading. I'm going to share with you the latest set of labs that I have, but before I do, I want to talk to you about where my mind was at the time. So I truly always believed that human bodies were made healthy. Like 95% of us are going to be perfectly healthy. Yes, there are genetic anomalies. Yes, there are genes that come out. But my belief, my spiritual belief, my religious belief, all of that was such that we are healthy. We do things that get us unhealthy. And so my belief was that my body was very healthy. Nothing was wrong with it. I was just doing it wrong. The problem was that, of course, I didn't know how to do it right. I didn't know how to fix it. I was even more frustrated because I was a doctor. Who was I going to go to to learn to be healthy? I knew what the doctors knew. Going to a doctor wasn't going to be helpful for me because I knew that a doctor was going to tell me move more and eat less or they were going to offer a weight loss pill. Move more and eat less wasn't working for me. And I don't want to be on medications for anything, much less weight loss. So going to a doctor, I avoided that because I didn't feel it was going to be helpful for me. So I looked and looked and I found a coach. She was actually a physician who helped other physicians who wanted to lose weight. I started working with her and that's where I got new information. So recognize the new information was not just about my thoughts and how they were impacting my results. That was there. But that new information was also about how to get healthy and be healthy long term. Finding this solution, which really opened up my life, came from a belief that my body was normal and fine. I just needed to figure out how to treat my body in a way that didn't make me sick. To this day, I have no idea where that belief came from church camp, growing up in church, maybe my mother, I don't know, but I'm eternally grateful for that belief because it has served me infinitely. So I started this journey into eating healthy and differently, and that led to clearing of my brain from all the neurochemistry that occurs when we eat these highly processed foods like frosted flakes. Once that dopamine cleared and my insulin levels normalized, that's when I started seeing the weight really dropping off of me. My BMI is lower today. It's some depending on the day, it's somewhere between 20.5 and 21.5. It's lower than it ever was in high school, and I'm thrilled with that result. But what I knew and I got that result very early on. I I got that result three years ago. As I've dug into what it means to be healthy, I've realized that it's not just about the weight, right? 
I realized that there is a segment of the population, and you can look this up in the medical literature, that's called TOFI, not tofu, TOFI, T-O-F-I. This stands for thin on the inside, or thin on the outside, fat on the inside. And what this means is these people look physically thin and fit, but they are actually metabolically unhealthy, meaning they have too much insulin in their system. And all of the effects of having too much insulin in their system is going on even though they are physically thin. So once I started to look at what it really meant to be healthy and to eat healthy, I realized very quickly that I had lived the majority of my life as one of these TOFI people. I was never horribly heavy. I was never outside of the normal BMI, unless I was pregnant, and then I was outside of the normal BMI, but I was never in a non-pregnant state outside of a normal BMI. It was higher than I wanted it, but it wasn't outside of normal. But my insulin, I suspect, was always elevated. And the reason I suspect this is because I would have these episodes of hypoglycemia, these low blood sugars up low blood sugar episodes that were also lower than would be expected for what I ate. So I started experiencing these episodes when I was about 20. For years, my body had been under the effect of hyperinsulinemia. So a biology lesson here, right? Low blood sugars is not caused because there is some problem driving chronically low blood sugars, right? Low blood sugars I mean, that is, there is a problem driving chronically low blood sugars, but what it is is hyperinsulinemia. That is, the the sugar part is not the problem. The insulin part is the problem. Hypoglycemia, low blood sugars that don't make sense. Like if you're on insulin or taking meds, that's one thing. But if you are having low blood sugars and you're not on any meds for diabetes and haven't even gotten a diagnosis of diabetes, this is because you have too much insulin in your system. What ends up happening is you get a high sugar load into your system, like a Snickers bar, and your body starts to spit out a lot of insulin to manage that high blood sugar, but because your cells are resistant to the message that's coming from the insulin, your cells are sluggish to respond to the insulin. Once the insulin overpowers that insulin resistance, then your blood sugars drop very low, very quickly, and it feels very badly. So I had regular bouts of this, and I thought it was because I would you know, check my blood sugar and I would see that they were so low. I actually thought it was because I was so far away from getting diabetes. I did not realize that in reality, it was a sign that diabetes was knocking on the door of my world. So recognizing that living healthy and optimizing your health has a lot more to do than just being a normal weight. And that was something that I have learned in this process. So the results that this work has gotten me, the biomarkers, the lab results that this work has gotten me, my current A1C checked about three weeks ago was 4.6. I had another one checked when um, about three years ago and it was 4.9. Okay. There was one that I had checked, but it was on a finger stick one and it was the YMCA and I don't know how accurate it was, but it was 5.4. And that had been, I don't know, that was probably six years from now, six years ago. So you can see there has been a steady trend downwards. My lipid panel, my bad cholesterol on my fasting lipid panel at three weeks ago was 77. Most people want it less than 100. If you're diabetic, they want it less than 70. Mine was 77. My good cholesterol was 73. They shoot for a range above 50. Recognize if it is above 60 or 65, that good cholesterol, this is your HDL cholesterol. If it is above 60 or 65, 
it doesn't matter any of your other cholesterol numbers because that offers you so much protection from heart disease that none of those other numbers matter. So even though that my bad, my LDL cholesterol was at 77 and diabetics want it less than 70, non-diabetics need it less than 100. I mean, certainly I'm within the normal range. That good cholesterol number being at 73 trumps that bad cholesterol number. My triglycerides, the goal for triglycerides, fasting triglyceride levels should be less than 150. Mine were 38. Again, the triglycerides are typically what we look at. It's really inflammatory and wreaking havoc in heart disease. My number is amazing and low and I'm super happy with that. My fasting insulin level. So for people who are looking at insulin being a problem, we have a goal of less than seven for a fasting insulin level. The lab marker wants it less than 15. Again, that's the difference between optimizing your health, which would be less than seven, and keeping yourself out of a disease state, which would be less than 15. My fasting insulin level was two. And then my liver enzymes were my ALT, which looks at the liver function, was nine. The goal on the lab is less than 55. But again, an optimal health level is going to be less than 20 or 15 for that. And then the AST, the goal is less than 34 on the lab. The My AST was 16. So all of these numbers, I didn't even like, I'm, I'm like super excited about this. Like this is something more than I ever thought was possible. But why did it happen? How did this happen? Again, it's not a result of my mutant powers or my magic or my mysticism. It's not even hard work and dedication. This wasn't about my willpower or my self-discipline. This is biology. This didn't occur overnight. My one A1C has progressively improved. And this is what I call, this is what, all of this is due to what I call an accumulation of better biology. And what I mean by that is I have started living my health, my life healthier And it's been a path to becoming healthier. Over the last three to four years, I have stockpiled improved health that has shown up in these biomarkers. Again, with numbers I didn't even know were possible. It didn't happen overnight or in six months or in one year. And it certainly didn't happen because I had the dream of just barely being in the the range of healthy. This has been a multi-year journey of moving my health into the most optimal direction that I can get it. And you know what? Here's the thing. I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I still have goals for tweaks here and there that I continue to experiment with so that I can optimize my health. I understand I'm not going to live forever and I don't want to live forever. I don't do this because I expect to live forever. I do it because I feel amazing when I take amazing care of my body. When I take exquisite care of my body, I feel fabulous. My body feels good. My mind is clear. I can see the things that are going on in my relationships for what they are. And I get to be in control of all of this experience for myself. My life gets to be as amazing or as dumpy as I want it to be. And this is why this work is so amazing. This is why I always say this work will blow the doors off of your life. This work will open the world for you. Any goal that you want to create in your life will be at your fingertips once you have done this work of fixing your health. Not because you have your health, but because you've learned to be aware and manage the emotions and experiences you're having in a way that you are not at the effect of the world, but you have agency to create anything you want in the world. So there it is. 
That's number 100. I hope that you found it helpful. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to send them to me. Send them to Delane at DelaneMD.com. I'll respond. I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm happy to tell you that I am sorry if you took this as me being braggish or to, you know, try to respond if there's any thought in your head that this is impossible because it's really not. And letting go of that belief that it's impossible is the first step to getting all of the results that you want. Remember, this is the sharing of my story. Again, not to brag and certainly not to set expectations for anyone. It's really to show you that there is more than just being disease-free that is possible for you. You don't have to get your numbers just barely normal. You can truly optimize your health. And if that's something you're interested in, I can help you with that. Set up a consult by emailing Delane at DelaneMD.com. We'll find a time that works for both of us and we'll talk and you can see how my program will help you get all of those results that you want. So thank you for spending episode number 100 with me. I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Also leave me a review. If you want to resolve your diabetes naturally without any pills or injections, I can help you. Visit DelaneMD.com for more information. Click on the Work With Me tab, send me a message, and we can set up a mini coaching session. You guys have a great week. I'll talk to you soon.